Hello and welcome to episode four of Her Majesty's Tech Podcast, Working Title, the podcast where we discuss the justiciability of illegal prorogation of the UK Parliament and potential remedies a court could impose. Just kidding, because I'm too slow editing and the result of this should be public by tomorrow. I've got Emil here with me. How are you doing? Good, good. It feels like it's more than episode four, but... It does, yeah. I think we're just really bad at keeping to any schedule, but you've been really busy, haven't you? I mean, I'm always busy. You are too. Oh, let me turn off the volume on my Mac. There we go. <laughs> good idea. We're so professional here. Yeah, why, why don't you tell us a bit about what you've been up to lately? Oh, I've been traveling way too much. Summer, summer vacations, weddings, all kinds of shit. Um, <laughs> uh, company offsite. I think I've been gone every every week, a couple of days every week for the past three months or so. That sounds exhausting. It's terrible, but I'm home for a month, so that feels good. So we are currently recording in a WeWork Still does a thing, that, still a company, exist? not bankrupt yet, but no IPO coming up anytime soon either. I'll be, I might need to go back to working from home soon. Yeah, potentially. So why don't you tell us a bit about the progress that you've made with Wisley? Um, it's going pretty well. Uh, we're at a phase now where we're just like, like literally now trying to onboard a couple of first customers uh, using the initial product. It's definitely, um, uh, yeah, it's it's fun. It's uh, getting there. It's something we use every day, and uh, we hope others will enjoy using as well. Remind us, what do people use it for? So what Visley is used for now is really uh, a place to manage uh, assets for a team. Uh, so that's like colors, icons, textiles, really anything that has to do with uh, design, so fonts and all kind of design assets and that gets then synced automatically across all platforms with it's like ios android react and uh, then there's some code generation that goes on to make those assets like type safe to use and easily uh, manageable from code is that react native or react um vanilla as well react web we will be supporting react native but not yet okay Uh, so that's like hopefully in the coming month or so uh, it should be quite easy. It's um, the way they manage like assets like uh, images and fonts is a bit different from web. So we need to do some changes there, but it's no big deal. We should have that in a couple of weeks. Um, and then we're working on really just continuing working on, on Visly. Uh, the big thing is like we're working on a fully fledged visual component editor. That'll really be, I mean, that that's really what we set out to build from, from the start. And uh and that'll be super exciting to get that uh, in people's hands in the, the next couple of months. Nice. Is there a Flipper plugin coming? Uh, we will see. Nice. Nothing being worked on. Oh, okay, okay, I see. Well, I hope it will come at some point. I've actually been looking into uh, integrations with React Native lately. Yeah, I heard a bunch of talk on Twitter from people. Somebody, there was somebody, is he, does he work at Facebook? Somebody was like, we should add this to default React Native. Um, there was definitely one thread started by someone who works there. Yes, oh, that but was a. Fr- it's, it's really cool for us to see because everything about React Native happens out in the open, and it's a nice reminder on how but to properly do. I was trying source. to look into him, and I thought he didn't work at Facebook, but he does. If we are talking about the same person, maybe Ram. I don't know. Okay, yeah. Somebody on Twitter. Yeah, but it's it's interesting. So someone basically enabled it by default. And then someone in the community was like, oh, hey, wait, wait a second. This is not how we normally do these mm. kind of things. And it wasn't really that uh, they had a problem with Flipper in particular, but it was more about the process. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's so cool to see that everything that goes through th- these community review stages, I'm not sure if this is a proper RFC process, but it's definitely something quite close. I mean, yes and no. They definitely do things like hooks never went through an RFC process. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like... I think it's like everything goes through an RFC process with an asterisk. Right. Kind of. It also seems to depend on where a particular feature or feature request comes from. This was very much born out of necessity for internal stuff, whereas this is something that's more about the community really than any internal specific need. Do you use use Flipper internally for React Native? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, for React Native? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Because I remember working on that and it never really took on while I was there. I mean, we never spent time on it, which is why it never Yeah, really exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
it's all about just spending time on it and focusing on a thing and yeah as soon as you have people from the community and the react native community is not exactly a small one no then suddenly you have to focus on it otherwise people will burn down your github issues page what's your favorite flipper plugin since i left that i might not know about Oh, it's it's actually easy. Um, it's navigation. I was thinking of one that's actually open source because I could name a few ones where I'm not entirely sure if they are done open sourcing yet, so I shouldn't talk about them. But navigation, it's really fantastic. That was our intern project that we've had. It right now only offers you some interfaces, so you have to do the the legwork for making it work. But once you've done this, it can do two things for you. It can track the navigation events in your app. So as soon as you switch a tab or go to a different page, it will keep track of this. Keep track of the, I'm thinking Android here, but like the intent parameters. But you can think of this as like get parameters or something that you would have on a web request. Same would ultimately hopefully work on React Native in this kind of way where you make a request to something. Takes a screenshot next to it. So then you can basically browse through this and see where people navigated in the application. So this in itself is super, super helpful if you export this data and then import it somewhere else for bug reports because you can see the path. Do you have full support for exporting things on all plugins? Or is it a per plugin plugin, kind of thing? On all plugins that use our persisted state API. So we've basically got two ways of doing this at the moment. We've got the standard React model where you just keep something in state and that's thrown away as soon as the plugin is unmounted. But if you use persistent state? Yes. Oh, okay. That's cool. Then we make sure to export this. That's really cool. And the other part is you can also navigate really quickly to these pages. You can bookmark certain things that you've navigated to before and if your app supports exporting the list of potential destinations then you can use some sort of type ahead to go there and if you have an application that's a bit more complex i'm sure you could think of one facebook maybe then this can be really helpful if you just want to get to one particular page without going through 30 tabs through various menus Mm, that's cool that's really cool and he spent so much time on getting the UI look really nice. It's um, oh sweet, yeah. It's definitely one of my favorite plugins that I've seen lately. Awesome, yeah. I haven't tested it. I mean, I have no reason to test it. Right, yeah. So on iOS or Android, there are no APIs for exposing navigation hierarchies in this kind of way. So you have these. Yeah, standard- I guess the like registering activities in the manifest but then again like all routes won't be an activity and the hierarchy isn't expressed there exactly and sometimes you want to have more narrow navigation events inside one activity for instance if you just consider having taps this is in fact a navigation event if you switch from one to the other or if you just use fragments in one activity or whatever yeah and you also want to be able to navigate back to these through deep link for instance so you could have something like my app colon slash slash notifications and you want to go to the right tab right so all of these things, you need to at least like implement an interface if you have something like this in your app at the moment. Right. But it should be interesting for React Native. I haven't actually looked at the APIs that they have, but they seem to work on a routing concept, which should fit into this model really easily. Yeah, I haven't used React Native in forever, but on React Web at least... I mean, you can plug in any router you want, but there are a lot of routers yeah. that are really cool and where you specify basically the route hierarchy almost up front or within the library declaratively at least. So if you plug into that, then you should get all this for free. Yeah. Do you use it for, is Flipper used for React Web or anything? Or has anybody attempted to? Good question. I don't have the answer to this, to be honest. I don't know if someone's used this there before. Uh-huh. Well, the thing is, the the Chrome DevTools are really good, and I think the natural inclination for React web developers would be to build a plugin for the Chrome DevTools or something like this. Yeah, I mean, there's that's kind of. I mean, I was playing around with it. What is it now? Two years ago, whatever. And that's basically the basically the conclusion we came to. Like, it was different enough, so it basically meant rewriting a lot of plugins, and then you might as well just write them in uh, as a Chrome plugin. Yeah. So for instance, for Flipper itself, which is an Electron app using all sorts of React and Redux things, we use the Chrome DevTools a lot. So if we yeah. wanted to make use of Flipper for web, then this might be a good first target. To using Flipper, Flipper for Flipper? Flipper, 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 Flipper. I'd love Flipper. that. Yeah. Actually, talking about this, I wanted to get your take on this. So one thing I've wanted to look into for a while now is some sort of model for multi 
process plugin architecture for something like Flipper. So we have this global state, which is quite useful. So there's basically I love just, global state. It's fantastic. And if you have some visualization mechanism like the Redux plugin, it's super helpful too. You can even see the actions, how they modify the, mm-hmm. the global state, and it's a really easy mental model to reason about. Also, if you were to consider splitting of plugins into separate processes, then the mental model would be fairly straightforward because you could think of having this global state. Yeah, and like plugins really shouldn't be sharing state with each other anyways. Right. So it, it would even be fine to just give them their subset of the state that they care about. Yeah, I agree. However, so well, well, actually, one more step is the plugins only need read access to it. That makes it even better because you right. basically only need the, the global process to have write access because that one needs to receive actions that can modify the state and create like oh a okay state so it's this like okay so the child process which is the plugin would send a message to the parent process updates the state pings the plugin that then reads the state yeah exactly okay but all state mutations go through the parent process basically. yeah okay yeah, yeah then you also don't need to worry about uh, things being out of order, all sorts of locking mechanisms that you would other, otherwise need to introduce. Because this way, it's just like a linear queue. You get sure. the actions in, and you produce a new state at every time. And everyone who reads it should get a get the same picture of the state, as long as it is as it exists only once in memory. And this is where the fun begins, because Chrome itself, or V8 rather, doesn't really have a good way of just saying, "Hey, please share this portion of memory here," or mmap it into other processes. As far as I, well, why know. do you need a? Why do you need shared memory between processes? Because it's big. The state can be quite big, and if you use JavaScript primitives, well, what for state are we talking? The the global application state, or even the individual state for the plugins. You could have right, one, but the plugin state could just be in the plugin process, and you're done with it. Whatever. But you also need to need to have it in the global application. Why? For things like exporting it, sometimes there are actual events that inform the global application state. For instance, the navigation plugin makes use of an API that shows you a chevron at the top to indicate what device is on what URL or route in your in your app at the moment. I think still, at the moment, we kind of presume, our current API does, that every plugin has access to the entire state. I might be wrong about this, but I think this is how it currently works. I feel like, I I, want to go into what you're thinking, but as as a tangent, I feel like the plugins could have their own state, and then you just, like, do imperative, like, events, like, sent to the parent process for things that are, like, oh, show this chevron or whatever. Like, that's, that's a tiny amount of state. Okay. That that would actually make things easier, yeah. And then, like, when you want to export, then the parent process just goes through the processes and right. say, export your state, export yeah. your state. Just And that is what currently happens anyway, because plugins have the ability to reduce only a subset of the state that they care about for. Right. So then, like, why would the log plugin state need to be global when no other okay. app cares about it? That's how I'm thinking about it, but go ahead. That's actually fair. Okay, so that's that's. let's just put this into the bucket of one of the ways we could approach this. Basically, make sure that only the plugins themselves carry their state, and we do not directly broadcast this back to the global application. Mm-hmm. So the thing I thought about before, and I'm still kind of curious if this is possible to implement, is you have the global state, and every single plugin has access to the global state. Mm-hmm. So now you need to have a way of actually sharing this. We can't just do this on a basis where we just set, serialize and send, send this state to the child processes with given APIs because that would effectively mean JSON serializing everything, sending it over to what could be 30 plus plugins on every modification. That's not sustainable. I'm not even sure if how long that would take, but it might actually be like multiple seconds sure. for doing this. So my thought was, hey, I mean, it's only write once and read everywhere else. That's a pretty annoying kind of concept. You could probably get away with something like def, uh, SHM, shared memory, or mm-hmm. mapping the same memory region into different processes. Sure. But how? <laughs> Can't. I'm not quite sure what the right level for doing this is. I know that it's all noise and it runs locally. So you might get away with writing your own v8 extension or i'm thinking much, i'm thinking much easier why can't you just write it to a file 
and then all the plugins have a read-only file pointer to that file file and then the main process is just writing this file and like i'm saying file as in a unix file so it doesn't necessarily even have to be like a something that's on disk disk file it could just be an in-memory file with a handle that's a interesting a unix socket yeah like would that work because then it's just in one location right maybe yeah so i've looked at something called neon bindings which is a rust api for writing node plugins Mm-hmm. It sounds like something that I want to be erring on the safe side on. If you share memory and you don't get this right with the access, then sure. it will blow up in your and face. And also, writing Rust is more fun than C++. Yes. This sounds like an inherently dangerous kind of project, messing with internals of V8, sharing memory but don't across they have processes. like a good plugin system, V8? Or no? Oh, God, no. No? <laughs> I mean, there is one. And I think it works relatively well if you compare it to other languages that expose some sort of native interface. Mm-hmm. If you compare it, for instance, to Java or Android and writing C++ plugins to it, it's much nicer. Sure, But okay. I believe, and I might be wrong, maybe things have changed since I've last looked at it, you still need this weird JIP, uh, G-Y-P, right. I, Python-based yeah. build system layer there. I think the neon bindings make, makes this a bit nicer. And then you also have access to all the nice crates that might exist for sharing memory across processes that also make sure that you do this in a memory safe way or in a type safe way yeah i mean that sounds like it could work i see a lot easier solutions that might work yeah i mean underlying so. this might might still be a file in air quotes right and you could do that from just like javascript huh yeah hmm. that's interesting so yeah. i would look into that i would look into both the kind of just share a file and and the kind of like processes own their own memory before yeah. I looked into like native plugins to Node because that seems like a deep rabbit hole that I don't want really to go right. to unless I have to. Yeah, perhaps there is actually something in in that space, or someone else has written code. I've I've looked for the very low level things, and there didn't seem to be an API for, for instance, for m mapping things in in that sense in right. Node itself. But perhaps your approach there could actually work in pure javascript i mean you could uh, like it might not be pure javascript per se you might need a shell out to create a file handle or something like that but still you could do that from javascript the one additional limitation is it actually needs to be fully cross-platform but it needs to work on windows yes okay goodbye (laughs) well you know it's maybe someone went well like with the linux subsystem on windows (laughs) could it not work I've got this Windows laptop sitting on my desk at work. I've booted it up once, got so fucking frustrated with this crap, and haven't opened it since. There was this one thing where, so it first, force upgraded something, where you got this wonderful dialogue which told you, you've got 8 minutes and 12 seconds now until I will forcibly reboot your machine. Fuck off now, save your work, or it will be lost. I'm like, oh, this is a good start, Okay. So once it forcibly rebooted, actually, I think I pressed the button, which was reboot now because I had literally no work done at this point. It was just stuck in a boot loop. Um, so I was That's actually Windows stuck. For you. Yeah, I thought maybe it's just a bit slow. It's Windows after all. Who knows what kind of bookkeeping they need to do behind the scenes. Plucked it into the charger, which was USB-C. So that was nice. It was a ThinkPad. One good thing. Yeah, good thing. The next morning, <laughs> I think I did this like in the afternoon and then forgot about it. The next morning, I, I took a look. It was still at the Windows logo or saying upgrading or something like this. Like, yeah, okay, this is probably not going to actually happen. Try to press the power button. It turned it off. I thought, turn it back on. Same thing. Just left it there for a couple hours. Nothing happened. Then I went to IT and they <laughs> just flipped it around and showed, showed me a little pinhole that was there. And if you, you know. Like clearing some RAM of some sort. It's, they told me it would effectively do the same thing as if you were to hold down i think it's control e or something on the mac and then go through mm. this clearing all sorts of weird caches kind yeah. of thing but that was my very first introduction with windows 10 i don't think i've touched a windows machine in the past decade and yeah. that was how it started so yeah we didn't exactly get off on the on the right foot on this one and the next start was i'm not sure if you've seen this the new windows terminal 
Yeah, I, I saw a video of it and it looked cool. Yes, the video. It's all about the video. Yeah, the video looks dope. The video is absolutely incredible. Um, we'll add it to the show notes here because this is worth checking out. It's only like a minute, but yeah, it's it's hilarious actually how over the top it is. So I thought like, okay, I have no idea how to even change directories here. I think a CD? Okay, then maybe maybe I do know. And then it's duh instead of ls, but I still kept typing ls all the time. Well, I tried to install this from the what's it called microsoft app store microsoft Microsoft store windows store Store. it's 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 definitely a store of some sort sort. and there there was there was no install button so i found it but there was no install button so i was just like fiddling around there somewhere scrolling down i found i'm not on the right version of windows i was on windows 10 but the build number or something behind was not on the Mm. right level then I tried to upgrade, which took another 10, well, no, no, like another hour to get to the point where it told me something went wrong. Please try again. I tried again. It took another hour. And then I saw apparently the new version of Windows to try to upgrade me to, which was slightly higher than the minimum version that was required for the new terminal, did not have Kerberos features that were required by my domain administrator. I mean, if I got a Windows laptop, I would get a Surface and nothing else. I'm not sure if that actually makes that much of a difference really? in that particular case. One other area, oh man, this is turning into Windows rant, but it, it was a, just so much fun. I tried to try and change the direction in which the touchpad scrolls. Right. And you open up this Metro style interface for your system configurations. But once you get to the mouse configurations, I think it's still called mouse, not, not touchpad or anything. It opens up a Windows XP-ish kind yeah. of dialogue. But then, because it Classic. is a touchpad, no, a, a ThinkPad, I had to go one level deeper and open the touchpad configuration for ThinkPads. And then it opens up something which looks like maybe KDE3-like. Great. <laughs> and this was in the place where I could actually change the direction from natural to something else, what I preferred. But, oh man, it's just comical how bad it is, how you can actually see the cost of maintaining backwards compatibility all the way back to probably some wind windows or win 16 they apis do really, they do backwards compatibility well i just don't care I'm sure about they backwards do. compatibility for windows like 98 i don't want to sound all brexity but yeah a clear break sometimes is actually maybe a good thing yeah uh but back to the your your issue i have one other idea okay so there was a problem with sending over all the json yeah why there is one IPC mechanism for, for Chrome for sending effectively small messages. Sure. It's relatively... It's co- for, used for like service workers and stuff, right? Yes. And if you look at other similar projects like VS Code, they actually have all their extensions live in separate processes. And they use the IPC mechanism. But when you look at the APIs that they actually have for this cross-process stuff, so basically the plugins can... At yep. syntax highlighting or other things they send commands back like go two lines up 12 characters to the right sure. and that's what they do they don't send like, tiny images as base 64 encoded thing over the wire and that works fine um it's definitely not made for the kind of thing where you send but what kind of messages are you thinking of sending well the the action would be hey here is another line that was added to this row but the current model is, okay, here is your previous state plus the new row you've added as completely new state. So why, do, why don't you only... So my idea is, why don't you only send the delta? Right. You could potentially do this, but even this requires that you can have a meaningful delta. You need some sort of mechanism for actually expressing these. Some of them aren't just simple append operations, but they might be more complex stuff. Imagine you actually change some image data. Change yeah, a so there's actually there's a really cool JavaScript library for computing deltas of arbitrary objects and applying those on the other end. And yeah, this so might be interesting. But in, in order to actually be generalizable enough, I presume it would have to be uh, a generic algorithm that works in binary diffs. Those can be really, really slow. No, so we're using this, and it works really well. Interesting, okay. Uh, so we're using this for, like, basically when you change anything in Visly, like, this is in the component editor, which doesn't exist yet, but <laughs> uh, when you change anything in the editor, instead of sending the whole state of the component tree and all the, like, like all the settings and whatever to get synced through... I mean, so, first of all, like, when you're in the component editor 
ev- all the updates sync to everybody else who's in the component editor at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the way we do this is diff the state of the tree and then just send the state update and broadcast it to everybody else and then apply that uh, that diff basically on all other clients and it becomes super small. That is super and interesting. And it works for totally arbitrary state. It's called, uh, the, the library we're using is called, I think it's called Sustand. So like Z-U-S-T-A-N-D. That is not the spelling I would have expected for a library. but okay. Yeah, it's it's a bit tricky to get working nicely, but what, like it it's nice. Can so I go th- on a quick tangent here and just say that I love that this <sighs> seems to start becoming an expectation that people have for modern web, web applications, or modern applications in general. I think you showed me this for, was it Superhuman? No, Superhuman was- and then Linear and like... There's yeah. a ton of apps that are live, and I think that's just the future of all apps. It's fantastic. You, yeah. you showed me this, and it was kind of unexpected. You opened Linear in the web application, had the desktop one open, and switched from dark mode to light mode or something yeah, like that. and like this. half a second later, it changed. Like, it was fantastic. Yeah. And I think that's just the future of all apps, and anything that makes that easier is better. Yeah. So I would look into sending deltas as well. I think there's a... T- basically, what I'm saying is... Stop looking into native uh, extensions I know, and I, I try think... these like four other things before you do that. That is very good advice. And I'm, I'm glad I talked to you about this because my, my natural inclination is to go to the fun part and writing a Node extension in Rust. does sound like a lot of fun, but I guess I, I'll need to find for a better excuse for doing this. Yeah. And if you wanted to work on Windows as well, like good luck. Mm. So I, I'm I'm just going to say, do try that. But after you've tried literally everything else. <laughs> Fair enough. And I'll send you my 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 quote for uh, for for this, uh, this, uh, these tips. <laughs> I'm now a consultant on the flipper team. Yes. Okay. Um, if we ever add an about page, I mean, you would already be honest, but um, I'll make sure oh, to still mention kinda, you for I'm this. I'm still pissed that all my commits from Flipper and Yoga are gone. It is so annoying, yeah. So for people who don't know, on GitHub, you actually only get credited for commits you've made if your email is authenticated for that particular account. And I was like, I left Facebook, so I removed my Facebook email. Uh, and all my commits from all my open source data three years at Facebook were gone in one second. I'm sure there are a bunch of big companies such as Payroll GitHub to never remove this feature which detaches commits from email addresses because it's an amazing employee lock-in yeah so i'm just going to try to get passy to force push my real email sometime <laughs> oh man I'm, I'm sure people would be thrilled to have the entire history of i don't know five thousand commits on flipper rewritten for that reason i would be thrilled see that's the owner of probably 20 plus percent of all the commits there yeah a zero according to github <laughs> Do you want to talk about the refactor you are currently undergoing? Uh, yeah, sure. So we've been working on Vistly for like, I mean, in its current incarnation for like six months. And it's been going well. And like the goal, number one goal has always been since the past six months is get something out there which we can test with users so we can actually get feedback. Sounds almost as if you were a startup. Yes, uh, and this is this means we've of course made decisions where it's I mean it's definitely the best decision to make in terms of that goal, but it's kind of a shitty decision to make in long term stability of the project. Uh, so now when we're at the part where we're actually starting to onboard people, now comes refactoring. Yeah. Um, and like again, like all the decisions we made this far were the right decisions to make. We have a product that works well in I would say like ninety five percent of cases. Um, we still have a bit more errors than I would like, and it's a bit slow in some cases, but mostly fast, but mostly it's really difficult for us to add new features and be sure it doesn't break anything else. And like, there's a bunch of annoying things and we've kind of like lived with them thus far because we were just like pushing forward to user testing. Totally right decision. But now the right decision is to focus on like stable infra a bit. Um, (laughs) Move fast with stable infrastructure at this point now, I see. Uh, Exactly. Well, anyway, so we made some decisions. One, this might be a bit controversial, but we we started with uh, like server-side rendering for React. Like used a server-side rendering framework. And that's cool. And like it was the hot 
new thing to use and like it does give you benefits like you do get nice like initial page loads and stuff like that but it's caused us such a headache because it means that we don't get unified logging like if you do a console.log sometimes it's in your server logs and Mm. sometimes it's in your client logs and you never know where it is right if you're using something like sentry or datadog or what have you you need to set up both node tracing and uh, client-side JavaScript tracing in the same file, in the same, like the same piece of code can run both client-side and server-side. And then you have to have a bunch of logic for having like, oh, wait, if you're currently in node, then attach it like this. And if you're currently in the browser, attach it like that. And getting these traces to play well with each other, it's just a giant pain in the ass. And the benefits we were seeing were almost zero because all our pages are super dynamic meaning they don't it's not like they can be pre-rendered to static pages anyways right so it's just a giant pain in the ass so basically you get some benefits on the time to first pixel but not really on the time to reactive content right right and it just makes debugging like 10 times harder and uh, it just makes the code messier. Things like now we've had we've had this random thing where it's like I think it's like one low page load per day on average is like takes twenty five seconds to load. Oh yeah, I've had one of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have no idea why. Well, we had well we've actually mostly solved it now. It ended up being a really shitty logging library we were using that was oh, wow. filling the memory with like hundreds of um, buffers. Uh, as so we removed it for, and we actually went with Datadog instead uh, of this, I won't name names, but shittier uh, logging solution, and that removed all of those. But the thing is, it was impossible to do any performance tracing because you, like, where do you performance trace? You can't get one that's unified across both front end and server. And this made things just really difficult. Uh, so anyways, I'm removing that. And just going with a pure client-side rendered app. Right. But, of course, like, that requires, like, basically rewriting. Not rewriting, but touching, at least, every single file in our front end. Yeah. And restructuring how we do deployments and a couple of other things. It's a massive pain in the ass. But I think it's worth it in the end. How was the previous server-side rendering model? I I suppose because it's a login-based thing, you can't just pre-render as right. a build step so right? this so it's is like... part of what made it kind of useless for us because we use login for everything except the landing page but even the landing page we render a different nav bar depending on if you're logged in or not sure yeah. so literally a hundred percent of all pages are dependent on login or like they at least look different depending if you're logged in or not so we can't pre-render anything it's like so yes we like server-side rendering just means like we're spending more time on the server instead of more time on the client the time to interactive should be basically the same so we're removing that um i'll see how that goes i mean the easy thing would be give the rest of the company like a week's vacation so i can sit with the code for myself (laughs) because like refactoring this and rebasing will be a i don't know how i'm gonna do it but it's gonna uh it's gonna be a massive pain Anyways, the second thing is uh, we went with MongoDB. Controversial, okay. That's not so... I, I don't know. <laughs> not so much anymore in 2019, I admit. No, but it's not as hip in 2019. Well, that, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that's not hip. It, yeah, Mongo it doesn't work bad. It's just... Well, first of all, like, nobody knows Mongo. Not a single one of our employees that we've hired since our initial, uh, since we were like two people, knows anything about Mongo, which means the onboarding time is substantially longer than if you used SQL. And then I would say like 95% of database tooling out there only works with SQL. Uh, So this means we're also writing a lot more custom tooling. And thirdly, uh, the like user interface for managing a Mongo database is just so much worse than the like 20 open source UIs there are for Postgres. That is surprising. You would really think for a database that is relatively young, 
when you compare it to others should have done a lot better yeah that front the it's Oh, so we're using like MongoDB with their hosted MongoDB Atlas. Yeah, yeah. I would have hoped their UI was just fantastic. It's the worst piece of shit I've ever used. That is so surprising because honestly, I've heard them advertise on some podcasts and, and stuff. So I definitely am aware of the brand. This is the thing I would expect them to nail. I know the database product underneath is of questionable quality. Uh, that, what I've heard that it was like 10 years ago, but now it's like... It's powering like banks and shit. So like it's. I know that uh, even even the Jepson tests are, I, I think, all passed now. So yeah, yeah they, I, I think like their underlying tech is really good. It's definitely like different from like Postgres, um, but their their management UI is just terrible. Huh. And it's not like there's a company behind Postgres that does something better, but because it's such a widely used database, yeah. there's so many open source so much open source tooling around it that's fantastic yeah and the same can't be set for mongodb um so we definitely like more integration with like open source tooling there we want something that where we can onboard people much more quickly too and also just using mongodb for the kind of data model we have it's not great you have to do so much manual things uh where it's like things are out of sync really easily because you can't set up database rules for like, oh, when this thing is updated, update this thing automatically. Or when this, like cascading updates oh, and deletions okay. and stuff like that. Maybe you can. I've just no idea how. <laughs> and this kind of goes back to no, nobody on the team has ever really worked with Mongo. I don't really recall how it was, but I set up some similar rules in RethinkDB for a fun project I had a while ago, and it was surprisingly easy. Yeah, I want to look into RethinkDB as well. but I, I have no idea what the state of it is these days. I think it's an Apache project now, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know, but I mean... Postgres is the big one. I think we'll just like try to go with Postgres. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, probably if I were to migrate from Mongo to something else because I'm a bit pissed off by how Mongo works, I'd, I'd go with Postgres. It avoids you. Yeah, and the there's also this twice. thing like Mongo. It was quick to get set up and things like that, which is partly why we used it. But there's this thing with MongoDB, and uh, I would assume every NoSQL database, or at least I mean, NoSQL is this. It doesn't say much. Like saying something's no SQL just means it's not SQL. But as a better description is like untyped databases, I guess. Yeah. The thing is, everybody I know who uses MongoDB uses a library on top to provide a type safe schema. Why the hell are you using an untyped database in that case if you're adding your own runtime layer for types on top of it yeah precisely it's i mean we're doing the same thing and i think it's stupid so yeah that just doesn't work well so i'm really excited about getting onto postgres where we can have a ton better tooling when it comes to integrations with with other open source tools as well as just like insights into into performance and and better like management of migrations and so forth and just like being more being more certain about the stability i mean mongodb works and like our app works and is quick on mongo it's fine it's just we need to write a lot more code and we are more unsure of the code we write and have to fix a lot more bugs with it than if we were on postgres so the big major migrations we're doing right now or like are planning to do is migrating from mongo to to Postgres and migrating from server-side rendering React to client-side rendered React. Sounds good. Okay, before we wrap things up, I think you went on a small shopping spree on the Apple Store. What have uh, you got? Yes, I got a new iPhone and a new Apple Watch. Any good? Yeah. I wasn't going to buy the iPhone, but then they said it had five hours more battery life, and then I bought the iPhone. <laughs> I mean, that that is why. Yeah. I had the 10, so I, I skipped... Last year was the first time I didn't buy a phone yearly in 10 years. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. And I was about to skip two years. Like, the, the phones are at this place, especially the iPhone, where its processor is still, like, years ahead of any Android or any Qualcomm processor. Yeah. It's just, like, you don't need to upgrade for performance at all. And I didn't. I wasn't gonna. Uh, the screen is basically the same on the two-year-old phone from like the phone now as well. That's the thing. I wouldn't upgrade my Pixel 2 XL for performance reasons. It's no. fine. It's yeah. perfectly adequate. And I would say the iPhone even more so. Absolutely. I uh, mean, the 
two-year-old iPhone is probably still twice as fast as the thing that I carry around with me. Right. So the and like the cameras on the 11 Pro are they're impressive, but I don't take that like so it'll be fun playing around with. But I don't take that many photos and i have like a nice standalone camera right so it's not like i was like oh i need to upgrade for the camera what i felt though was i mean battery life is so important to me yeah so like that was worth the upgrade that was fun that so was fun upgrade. which one is it now 11 just the 11, 11 pro 11 pro okay yeah i could have gotten the 11 as well but like i so the th- the reason i got the pro is it's slightly smaller oh really okay. yeah yeah so it's slightly smaller than the 11 doesn't it also have the oled and the other one doesn't or yes is that, okay but the lc apple's lcds are so good so i would have been fine with that does that again have an impact on the battery life N- not substantially i guess like, like <laughs> if you if you use a lot of dark mode then the oled might actually get you a bit more maybe but like the the 11 and 11 pro have almost identical battery life but yeah, so I'm super excited about the battery life. It's, I mean, good so far, but it's a new phone. So it's like... Yeah, exactly. But that said, like, it's... Uh, so I'll pause this thing where it can t- show you the the health of your battery. So my old phone had 80, like, 5% health. So just getting a new phone was 15% better. Mm-hmm. And the actual, like, efficiency of the chip plus the larger battery, give it a 40% boost. So in total, I'm, I'm looking at like 50% better battery life, which is fantastic. Yeah. The, the watch I knew I was getting because I had like the Series 3, which was before the refresh of this, like the big design refresh where the, it got a substantially larger display because it went edge to edge. Oh, okay. Uh, so I knew I was getting the watch and I was just extra happy it had an always on display. Yeah. So that's been working well but i got all this what two days ago so we'll see and it's currently charging because apparently the always on display doesn't only works with battery yeah that's that's disappointing so that's i was actually thinking about this on the way over here about battery life in general I, i would say the watch lasts longer than my iphone but i'm much happier with the battery life of my iphone than i am of my watch Yeah, the same thing has different expectations, right? The same thing as my laptop is worse than my iPhone. I'm probably happier with the iPhone battery than than my laptop, though. But still, it's like I'm a lot happier with the battery life of my laptop the last four or five hours than the Apple Watch that lasts for like a day and a half. I yeah, I mean the reason I wear my Fitbit Versa two here is mainly the battery life. It lasts me for five days. That's a very different proposition from having to charge every night. Yeah. Not to mention that sleep tracking is only available on the Fitbit, but it would effectively be worthless. To I mean, have sleep on tracking the... uh, is available on the Apple Watch as well through a third-party app. Third part, yeah, okay. yeah, and uh, that would have actually worked for me because I charge mine over lunch. Okay, so enough, like that, that works that's for you. fine. But still, like if you forget it once, then you can't right. track it. So I would love three-day battery life, mostly because it would last me through the weekend, and my Apple Watch charger is at work. <laughs> uh, yeah. But. Yeah, the the one-ish day it lasts now is not that long. I mean, yeah, it's the same as my iPhone, but I use my iPhone, what, like, I mean, I, too much all the time. I'm never never not on my iPhone. While what I get from my Apple Watch is like, yeah, I work out every other day and I look at the time quite a bit, but that's it. I, I mean, I get some notifications, but I don't use it heavily. So it's a thing that is just like this ambient thing, and it only lasts for a day. That kind of sucks. Uh, it's it's. I mean, it's fine, but I really wish it lasted like three or four days. Can you actually turn the always-on display off? Yes, but I don't think it does much. Yeah, they spent a lot of time explaining their one hertz refresh stuff. They've added yeah. To so the, the thing is, like, the display. Basically, all the hardware is identical to the last Apple Watch, but it doesn't have the controller uh, for the display that enables the one hertz refresh. It has the display, just doesn't have the controller for Interesting. the Interesting, okay. So this means that the Apple Watch Series 4 battery life should be the same as an Apple Watch Series 5 when you've turned off the always-on display. <laughs> yeah. And according to Apple, they have the same battery life. I mean, that means they have the same battery life, like plus minus an hour. So it really doesn't do much. And and the always-on display is fantastic. I've been so irritated by not having that. Especially when, like, 
I'm at my laptop or something. I'm at or at my computer where the watch is in line of sight. I don't want to have to do a thing wrist, with my yeah, wrist yeah. to look at what time it is. Or when I'm like working out or something like that, I want to just be able to look at it without doing this dramatic reveal of Apple Watch. Yeah, exactly. It can be a bit awkward to do this. Actually, non-advertised feature, as far as I'm aware, of the new Versa, the um, wrist movement detection seems to have got a lot better <laughs> with the new release. Uh, does that have an always-on display? You can enable it. I've never actually done this. I think in this case, it will dramatically reduce your battery life. Right, because they don't have Apple's stuff. In addition to that, they also have custom watch, watch faces. Oh. If you look at the store, which they have for custom watch faces, you can see why Apple is so reluctant. Because wow. holy shit, is there some revolting looking, absolutely appallingly designed watch faces in there. But I mean, I feel like that would be better if Apple did it. The same as like, there's appalling, Maybe. there's more appalling designed Android apps than there are iOS apps, even though there's shitty designed iOS apps as well. I yeah, love custom watch faces. I, I'm actually quite happy with the ones on the Apple Watch, but they're not perfect. Like, yeah. I'm using one now that I really like, but it's an analog watch face, and I'd prefer a digital. But the digital watch faces they offer aren't as good when it comes to the complications, I feel. Yeah. And I think with this new 1 hertz thing, they have given the first reason for actually restricting access to these custom watch face APIs. Well, they they do need to at least have now the ability to switch to this dark mode, basically, right? Yeah, and they they could... And then the passive mode. They could have blocked all the watch faces for the always-on mode. That is one way of dealing with this. Well, no, but or they could just, like... I mean, they control the screen, so it's like, now it's refreshing at one hertz. You better deal with it. Okay, fine, but it might actually look kind of weird for some displays that do any fancy animations. That right, but that's up to the FPS. developer to handle. Of course, yeah. Like that, that, uh, it, it, but it wouldn't... might degrade the experience, and that's re- that's generally something that Apple is reluctant right, to do. Right, but what I mean is they could introduce custom watch faces now. Sure, yeah. Because then now developers like, would develop it with that in mind. Right, but who knows what they come up next with that makes use sure. of some some new technologies that they can't anticipate yeah, right but now. you could say this for like custom apps on the Absolutely. iPhone as well yeah like I'm, custom, I'm not making excuses here for like Apple custom watch faces for the Apple watch are coming but are they though yes I think they're coming like in five years we'll have custom watch faces for the Apple watch <laughs> Oh, man. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and people are wondering why the productivity in the Western world has fallen over the past decade when you consider maybe five years and we can have custom watch faces on our incredibly powerful digital products we wear on our wrists. Yeah, but that's it. It only lasts one day battery. Okay. Maybe this is a good point to wrap this up. Yeah, I'm thinking if I have anything else. Are you getting the Pixel 4? Probably not. My phone is fine. Fair enough. Let's let's see what they... <laughs> If there are any things that haven't leaked yet, which may turn me around, I don't really care too much about phone upgrades. They're kind of tedious. Do you have any side project you've been working on? I've worked on one small thing called PotServe, a small Rust project, which was recently made redundant by Pocket Cast, which I'm pretty happy about. So let me tell you about it. It's um, a small application that you point at a directory of MP3 files. If they have the right id3 tags it will just automatically create an rss feed that will be consumable by all sorts of podcast players like pocket casts so instead of having to upload this to libsyn or anywhere else that take care of this for you in exchange for money or anchor they are doing a relatively good job at this but sometimes you just basically want to listen to one particular file this was particularly important because pocket casts with the release of version 4 i believe is that the one that they released now? I'm not sure if they've actually bumped the major version, but the, the, the big refresh. They've okay. removed the functionality for custom files. And if you just had, for instance, a pre-release of your episode that you just wanted to either send to someone else or listened to, uh, listen by yourself to make sure it's actually fine before you hit the release button, then there was no way of actually pushing it to your device anymore. So mm. what I would do is I would just push it up to a web server, have my PodServe running there and point it to the URL of my web server and listen to it. It's super easy. But you easy said like podca- a podcast has made this redundant now? Yes, because they 
have now added this mode back and it's really cool because you can just upload it from anywhere even from a web interface and then they sync it to all your devices do you get like a personal podcast playlist then? exactly that yeah that's cool it's a pro feature so you have to pay for it but everyone that who- they're like seven dollar a month uh, no one dollar a month thing. yeah it was relatively yeah. cheap might be one they grandfathered everyone who bought pocket cast before though because they made the app itself now free and everyone yeah. who bought it before, I think, got three years of. Oh free, yeah, they got three years, service. but then like a week later, they got infinite years. Wait, yeah, did they? Yeah, yeah, because people were like, "What the fuck?" When I, when in their advertising for buying it, it said free for your whole life. <laughs> so then, then like grandfathering people in for three years was like, uh, "What the fuck?" To me, that seemed perfectly acceptable because it's also I mean, it was, just like... I also thought it was acceptable. It was, like, it was like seven bucks for three years, like fine. But like I also agree, like they said free forever huh. and they can't just go back <laughs> on that. No, in fact, actually it says here, maybe, maybe this will change with an upgrade, but my current account says 99 years free expires 26th of August, <laughs> 2118. <laughs> I feel like that's enough. <laughs> oh, let's hope it is. Okay. This podcast is now officially prorogued. Let's get Black Rod in and cancel the recording. Okay, goodbye. Talk to you soon. This is going to be a bit controversial, but uh, we... Can you try and move your phone? I get some... Huh, it does interference after all. Okay. Hmm. So everybody, the iPhone 11 Pro interferes with our equipment. Yeah, but in a way more subtle way than my Pixel, though. Yeah. That made some, some proper dubstep noises next, oh, wow. next to the recorder here. Whoa, what is this? That sounds really fun. strange. Wait, is that... Lol. Wait, doing... There's interference, yeah. If I get my... It sounds really strange, though. It's like beep, beep, beep. I I was actually curious about this. Do you remember the days when you could hear interference from people leaving their phones too close to speakers in yes, general? Yes. What happened to this? Why is this Isn't no longer a thing? I, I haven't heard it myself. Well, I haven't used like speakers in a while. But you've got speakers everywhere. What what changed? What changed?